Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher. I'm an associate professor at Clemson University, and I'm also your host for this program. Today, I'm excited to be bringing together a panel to discuss the Netflix series, The Chair, starring Sandra Oh and created by Amanda Peet. Our panel today includes Dr. Christina Yao, Dr. Stacey Garrett, and soon to be Dr probably doctor by the time this airs, Jamika Jackson. Thanks to each of you for taking some time today to be on the podcast. Uh, before we get, so I'll have you like tell your little story of how did you end up doing what you're doing. Um, but before we get to that, if you would be willing to share just a few things that you are, uh, uh, that you engage in and who you are outside of work. So hobbies, things you're reading, watching, listening to besides the chair or anything else that you want to share. Um, Christina, would you mind starting? Yeah, I'll start. Um, recently I've gotten back into spinning. So on a spin bike and everything. And so I am now a subscriber to, um, Apple's fitness plus app, which I actually really like a lot. Uh, you know, they gave me like a six month trial and I tried it and then I, uh, paid for it, paid for it now. So I, I got suckered in, but I, I like it a lot. So that kind of rejuvenated my love of spin, which is great. Um, and then a show that I actually just, just finished watching um, is Squid Game. And so I don't know if others have watched it at all or have thought about it. I also think that that is a um, great metaphor for academia. And that can be another podcast maybe in the future. I'm glad to hear you say that. I'm not through it yet. And for oh. some reason, I was resisting watching it. But it's everywhere. And I'm like, okay, I need to at least know what's going on. It is very compelling. Very so, compelling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, look for another invite in the near future. So thank you so much. I appreciate it, Christina. Stacy, how about you? Yeah, I think uh, I've been in uh, escape mode for a while now. And so all of my extracurricular uh, reading and entertainment has been and how can I get as far away as possible from reality <laughs> um, so I've been watching a lot of like British shows and um, to include the Great British Baking Show had a very calming effect on me <laughs> um, but then I went as far as uh, the Bridgerton series on Netflix I also read all of the Bridgerton books by Julia Quinn uh, went through that whole series uh, as long as as well as Downton Abbey and Rain and um, all kinds of things that just take me to a whole other century <laughs> just to get a little bit of a reprieve. Awesome thanks Stacey. Mm -hmm. Jamika, how about you? Yes. Um, hello, everyone. So I don't have much time right now because I'm dissertating, but when I can get a few moments to myself, um, I'm a former athlete, so I love sports. So basketball, I'm watching basketball right now. I'm praying that my um, Golden State Warriors can pull through from a horrible year last year. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And then I'm also looking forward to season four of Dear White People on Netflix. Um, that's a really good series as well. And I'm also looking forward to watching Squid Games whenever I can get a free moment. All right. Well, thank you all very much. Um, so now let's let's do the, okay, this is who I am in my work life. Um, and Stacy, would you mind starting this time a little bit about your journey to where you are and what you're doing right now? 
Sure. So <clears throat> I like to start uh, kind of at the very beginning, um, and that idea that went to college and never left. Um, but even before that, um, education has always been a big part of my family experience. So I come from a multi-generational uh, home family um, where we've all, uh, that's been just been a big part of our family story. We've a uh, history of educators and <clears throat> my lineage on both sides of my family. Um, so going to college, um, was super involved in extracurriculars, uh, found I could do this for a career, ended up in student affairs, um, working in housing residence life, as well as fraternity and sorority life, and then some hybrid positions. And um, then found my way uh, to Clemson. And at one point, um, after my doc program had started, uh, had a wonderful faculty friend, um, then mentor, now friend, uh, kind of combo, I guess, um, you know, told me I could be a faculty member. And so I changed my dissertation topic and went full on in that direction of trying to prepare for life in academia. So um, I started as an assistant professor of higher education at Appalachian State University in 2017. And I have been there ever since. And I'm currently this summer took over as program director for our, our MA higher education program. Um, and yes, I am still one year away from applying for tenure. Um, so there's that. And I'm sure that'll feed into some of my responses <laughs> as we go. Um, as we just discussed the chair and academic leadership. Um, but that's what I'm doing now. And it's something that I still have a lot of passion around. And uh, looking back on my journey into and through um, the field, I have learned a lot and every step has linked and set me up for the next piece. So I'm still believing that there's a next piece that will come from the, the current spaces that I'm inhabiting. Great. Thank you so much. Jamika, how about you? Um, yeah, so my journey to higher education has been through higher education has been just that sort of like Stacy mentioned. Um, I'll say I started as a little girl thinking that I wanted to be a teacher. I would drag my brothers around and make them read books and different things. I quickly realized when I actually got into school that I didn't think I had the patience to necessarily teach small kids. So then I decided I wanted to be a lawyer and my I went to USC, um, got a bachelor's in political science. Um, and But I still was not all the way convinced that that's what I wanted to do. So fast forward, I got my first real job. It ended up being part-time at a small community college called Aiken Technical College, uh, which is West, Aiken is west of, um, Columbia, South Carolina. And I started working there in a part-time role, um, worked in various roles, and eventually was able to excel to a couple different leadership positions. And I started to realize that that maybe that was something that I really wanted to do, like work in a higher education context, not necessarily as a teacher at that moment, but to have something to do with working with uh, students in, in some um area. And so as I transitioned to that part of my life, um, I start, I worked in student finance. So just to back up a little bit. And so in working in finance, I started to see all of the various intersections that students that 
have challenges in regards to finances experience. And so that led me to want to um, get more experience at different types of institutions. So I ended up transitioning to a finance role at Clemson University for about six and a half years and also influenced me to um, pursue my doctorate just to learn more about how different marginalized uh, populations um, experience education. Um, so what that led to is me now, um, hopefully finishing up my doctorate in a few months. And um, while I was working full time at Clemson in the finance role, I did a lot of work, DEI type work for, again, students and, and, and faculty and staff in marginalized populations. And that made me feel as though maybe that's something that I wanted to do full time. So with that being said, a couple of months ago, I was able to obtain a role at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine in Greenville. So working with medical students and again, a different type of institution, which also introduced different, very, uh, different barriers that students experience. So that's what I'm doing now in addition to teaching in the student affairs program at Clemson, which also allows me to get a, another perspective of how students experience. So lots of different hats, but I am enjoying the ride. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Christina. Yeah, um, I also stepped foot on a college campus my first year in college and never left, um, which is uh, sometimes I, I love that. And then sometimes, you know, when reality sits in, you're like, oh, I have a very skewed perception of reality, society, all of that, right? Because my new year always starts in August. And so my calendar is always the academic calendar. So when people talk to me, they're always like, no, 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 the new year. I'm like, yeah, yeah, August. That's what I'm talking about. And they have, they're just thinking about January. I'm like, no, that's nothing, right? But um, anyway, so so, um, you know, was involved in different things like multicultural student affairs and orientation. Um, and it was literally a mentor in my senior, beginning of my senior year who said, did you know you could do this as a career? I was like, what do you mean? I can do this as a job. And then, you know, ended up applying to grad school, um, worked for many years in student affairs, um, mostly in residence life and housing, um, which was a great experience and um, really taught me a lot about student affairs and also, um, taught me that I, I just don't ever want to be on call again. And so uh, you will probably not see me working back in housing and residence life. And I have a lot of admiration for people who do it because it's a really, really hard job. Um, went through, did my PhD because um, it got to a point where I realized I just couldn't advance anymore, especially as, a, as an Asian American woman, that there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a clear pathway for me. And so I felt like I had to get that terminal degree in order to move up and then, yeah, when I was in grad school, my um, second semester, my first year, somebody was like, have you thought about becoming faculty? And I'm like, what? And then I was like, oh, that sounds great. And uh, like Stacy just kind of went full force. And then um, here I am. I did, um, I was a faculty member at University of Nebraska-Lincoln for about five years and then had the opportunity to come here to the University of South Carolina um, and uh be a professor here and then also to um, be the program coordinator for the um, higher education and student affairs master's program. Um, and so I, this is the, I guess I'm kind of in the start-ish of my third year. Uh, just recently got tenure, which is exciting. Tenure promoted to associate professor. Um, and everybody always talks a lot about like, oh, now you can catch your breath. And I'm still trying to find that breath. I don't know where, where that is. Um, and then as far as like with um, kind of what's next, um, kind of like what Stacy said, I know there's a next step. I think I think it's, um, I'm a little unsure what that 
is. A lot of people have been pushing me to go further into academic administration, and I feel a lot of resistance in my soul to it. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more, especially as we go through uh, with the rest of this podcast. So that's how I ended up here. Wonderful. Thank you. As program coordinators, maybe you can commiserate a little bit at some point too. So rewards, but challenges with playing that role. Um, last question before we get to the topic of the day. Um, and some of you alluded to some people already, but we always talk about how student affairs is a small field and, you know, everybody knows everyone or they know somebody who knows someone. Um, would you each be willing to talk a little bit about a mentor or if there are a few people who have been particularly instrumental in um, giving you guidance or even just giving you information so you could sort of chart your course to where you are today. And Jamika, if you wouldn't mind starting first this time. Of course, so I would probably say my first mentor uh, specifically in higher education would be my um, former supervisor um, when I was working at Aiken Technical College. So I was very young, just starting my career. And she actually trained me to take over her job when she retired. Um, before that, we kind of had a love-hate relationship. Like, I didn't think that she really liked me and the other young ladies that she supervised. We actually became really good friends after she stopped working there. And I realized it was because she never wanted to be a supervisor. That was kind of like imposed on her um, as Number one, the only way for her to get more money and to advance in the institution, but that's not something that she really wanted to do. She felt like she had to do that in order to advance. So to make a long story short, it wasn't it wasn't that she didn't like us. It was just that she didn't enjoy the role that she was kind of put into. And so I learned that after we became friends. Once she got ready to retire, um, I did not think I was qualified enough. I didn't have enough confidence in myself um, to think that I would even be chosen for her job. And she really, really encouraged me, um, you know, 12 years ago, Jamika, you know, you don't give yourself enough credit, like you could really do this. And lo and behold, after being there for a year and a half, I was actually promoted as the youngest director in the finance division and the first woman of color in that area. And it was all because of her. Um, and I moved, ended up moving on to Clemson. Um, and coincidentally, her mother is actually from Seneca, which is where I ended up living. And so now when she comes up here, her mom passed a few years ago, and she comes to clean off her grave she actually comes and sits with me and we go and have lunch and I get to tell her about all the great things I'm doing now in higher ed. Um, so she has been an amazing support system for me. Um, and then once I started my doctoral journey, Dr. Natasha Kroom, who was a former faculty member um, in the College of Ed at Clemson and who is now the Associate Dean of the Graduate School, she has been very instrumental and influenced in my research. Um, I can remember when I started doing my doctoral dissertation, I had an advisor that was amazing, but he really... I think they connected us because he his area of expertise was in finance. My background was in finance, but that's not what I really wanted to do. And it wasn't until Dr. Kroom came to the institution, I realized that we had the same research interests and she was um, 
very well versed in some of the theoretical frameworks like critical race uh, theory, critical race feminism that was instrumental in my work. She has kind of been, um, you know, the driving force for how I approach my research and how well I've been able to do on the program. Um, so if I, I could say it would be Dr. Kroom and then uh, Mrs. Rometta Fowler, I didn't mention her name, but that's my mentor back at the other college I started with. Thank you so much, Janika. Uh, Christina, how about you? Yeah, um, I will. I feel like I have so many mentors and colleagues and people who've been so instrumental in in, in my life. Uh, I'll, I'll pick a couple for right now. One would be um, Dr. Karen Inkelis, who's a faculty member at University of Virginia. I'm um, actually my first year on faculty at University of Nebraska. She was formally um, asked to be my my external mentor, like through my my department chair, put that together, all of that, just to try to build up a stronger mentoring program at the university. Um, and you know, we definitely kept in touch through the years and she's a person that I just reach out to to say hey this happened like am I does it make sense or is this a good idea or should I do this and what are your thoughts and everything um, I especially value her input uh, she identifies as being an Asian American woman in academia and higher ed um, and to be honest there's just not that many of us and everything and so um, I feel like she's been able to just kind of um, just be a very pragmatic voice in my in my head, right? Of um, of just being able to give guidance and just being able to just uh, and to listen, right? Which I think is really important. Um, two other people I'll mention. I'm not going to say their names because I don't want to put them on blast. But uh, two very good friends of mine I know from uh, grad school. They are members of what I would call my no committee, and I think everybody should have a no committee. I'm not going to say their names because otherwise people are like, why do you keep telling her to say no, right? But um, they're the people that I reach out to and I say, hey, I got asked to do this. What do you think? And they'll they'll kind of talk it through with me, right? They'll never be like, say no. Some things they will. They'll be like, ah, oh, that's a really bad idea. I'll be like, okay, you're right. I knew that already. But, you know, they'll talk it through about like, well, who asked you? You know, what is, you know, who benefits from this? And what is the purpose of this? And, you know, there are times even that because they know me so well, they'll even say, you know what, like, it's a lot of extra work and you don't have a lot of time, but this also is like that hard work that you really love to do and what's really important to you and, and true to your value. So you probably just should just say yes. I'm like, all right, you're right. So, um, so everybody, piece of advice, always have a note committee. They will be the ones to help, uh, help you put up some of those barriers in place that we all need. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And Stacy, how about you? Yeah. Um, I think similarly to Christina, I have folks that almost at, at different points and stages were like that catalyst person that gave me that nudge that set me on the path that sent me um, down this direction. So um, I'll mention a few of them. So Stacy Richardson was someone at William, William and Mary where I went for undergrad. That was the one that pulled me aside and said, hey, you can do this for, uh, for a living and go into this field and kind of set me on that track to get to my master's program, um, which started all of this. Um, and then uh, Dr. Leslie Gonzalez was the faculty mentor friend that I mentioned that was the one that said, hey, you can do this. Like you could be a faculty member. <clears throat> and then um, I'll also mention similarly to Jamika as well, uh, Dr. Natasha Kroom, who I had the um, blessing and privilege to work for my last year of my doc program, um, who really gave me a lot of the foundational things, um, like research-wise and life-wise and faculty life-wise, um, that has, I, I've carried with me, uh, through 
this these last four years um and the faculty role also uh she's my soror and sorority sister and so just the, being able to develop that friendship and having that so every like that multi-dimensional relationship with her has been really awesome also she got me out of school because at one point you know i mentioned i changed my topic i also almost started over because I got <laughs> through a phase where you question everything about what you're doing with dissertation and you're like, oh my gosh, it's all awful. I want to start over. And she's like, no, you're going to graduate. And then <laughs> whatever was missed, you can pick up <laughs> on the on the backside. <laughs> um, so I, I really uh, appreciate her. Um, and then uh, I want to give a special shout out to uh, my good friend, another soror, uh, Dr. Caleb Briscoe, who worked for Christina or with Christina at UNL. Um, and she continues to be that person that's that, that peer mentor. Um, she's, I will, I'll put her on, on blast as my, on my no committee <laughs> uh, as the one that I go to of like, should I do this? Is this too much? Am I like, what's happening here? Um, and so she gives me some really good advice and often will surprise me at the things that she'll say, like, you should probably do this anyway. Like, <laughs> she's like, I know I said you shouldn't do this anymore, but no, this one you should do. So um, she has be, uh, become also pretty instrumental uh, in, in my career as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much. And um, I have been looking forward to this conversation ever since actually christina and i talked about it on another ep or i guess around another episode and um so i can't wait to hear your thoughts about the show um a word before we move on if you're listening um we are going to talk about the whole series we're not going to worry about um spoiler alerts i really want this to be an open conversation so if you are listening and you get annoyed when people tell you how things happen and end, just pause here, go take, I think it's like three hours to watch the whole show, um, go watch it and then come back. Um, and if you've already watched it, this may encourage you to watch it again. We'll kind of see how it goes. But um, I, for, for the guests, you talk about, I've got some questions, but we'll go wherever you all want to take the conversation. Um, so let's just start with how did you first hear about the series? What compelled you to watch it? Um, and then just for my own curiosity, was it a sit and binge and you watched the whole thing at once or did you break it up over days? Um, and I'll let you go in whatever order you choose. If there's too much pausing, I'll start calling on you. But you all know you've been in the, the teaching space where it's like someone will talk. Um, so how did you hear about it? Um, what inspired you to watch it? And how did you um, watch it? One sitting or broken up? Right. I'll, oh, I'll pop in if that's okay. Yeah. So um, I heard about it probably on social media. I think we're a lot of where I hear a lot of news, to be honest. Uh, specifically, I think on Twitter, it, uh, like Netflix tweeted something out about it, like a little trailer. And then, then um, you know, my Twitter feed is very much a lot of academics on it. And so everybody just kept re retweeting it, retweeting it, retweeting it. So I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, 
oh my goodness, I should totally watch this, right? First of all, I love Sandra Oh. Like she's just an actress that I, I really, really love. I think she does some really amazing work. And then also for me, as, as somebody who identifies as being an Asian American woman, uh, seeing an Asian American woman in academia, right? Like who's starring a show was really amazing to me. And so I was like, well, I'm going to watch this no matter what and everything. So, um, and then I did watch it. I watched it over several days. Um, and I think I can talk a little bit more, more later on about why it took me several days to watch it, but definitely took a few days. Wonderful. Thanks. I can jump in. So I found out about this particular show, how I find out about a lot of shows is when I'm doing work, I kind of have to have like now the TV playing, but it's on mute, just so something else can be going on in the background. And I just remember um, having Netflix on mute and seeing, you know, how they have the new releases flash across the screen. I saw it. When I saw the name, the chair, I'm like, hmm, I wonder you know what that is so after I um I looked at it I ended up watching a trailer um I normally don't watch the trailer but my partner is very adamant that that's the best way to do research on movies is to watch the trailer so I actually watched it um and it really interested me from watching the trailer just wanting to learn more about faculty experiences in academia specifically those of women of color and so that's why I decided to focus on that and then I had to watch it over um uh, multiple different days. Uh, again, dissertating doesn't give me a lot of time to uh, choose my own schedule. So I just ended up watching it whenever I had the time to do so. Thanks, Jamika. How about you, Stacey? Yeah, um, I think just like everyone has said, social media was my uh, informer. Uh, and I was like, absolutely gonna have to watch that. Um, and also, again, similarly, Sandra O. Oh, big fan of all the things that she does. And so I was like, yeah, no brainer, have to watch this. Um, but I was also just really curious to see what they did and how they told the story of academia, like what they got right and wrong. And I think at one point I, I tweeted in response to someone, the question of, you know, either it'll be like awesome and we'll agree with everything or it'll be completely, completely off <laughs> and unrealistic or it'll be somewhere in the middle. So I, I likened it to kind of wondering how lawyers and doctors and like police watch these different shows that I know I get really involved in. Like I've been with Grey's Anatomy since the beginning. So it's like, I wonder how many doctors are out there in the world. Like this is not, this is not it. This isn't how it works. So kind of wanting to see if that would be a similar moment for us where it's like, that's not, that's not it. Um, but as we've come to find, or I found, was, was pretty spot on. Um, and so it was really interesting. I did the first time watch it all at once and just the Saturday after it came out, that's what I did that day. Um, and I tried to actually rewatch it again in preparation uh, for today. And oddly enough, I was immediately was like, nope, can't do it. <laughs> the first like 10 minutes of the first episode, I was like, no, I don't have it. I can't, I don't have it. <laughs> so <laughs> really hoping I remember a lot of the things that come up because um, I wanted to just kind of refresh myself on what happened. But I, yeah, immediately it was just like three times I tried and I was like, nope, not today. <laughs> There's a lot. And I, yeah. I appreciate that. I was going to do the same thing and it, it just didn't happen for me either. So, um, and maybe that'll come out, you know, some of what the why behind that might be. 
what were um, some of your initial reactions and were there characters and or events or incidents that really just sort of resonated with you? Um, and again, whatever order you choose to go in is great. I can go first on this one. So I will preface this by saying that I am not on the faculty side full time yet. So I'm still learning some of the nuances and how things go. But I was first alarmed by the language. I'm like, our professors don't speak like our instructors. They don't speak that way. So that's what first alarmed me. But I appreciated that the producers probably spent significant time trying to make more realistic representations of some of the characters. Um, so I appreciated that. Um, what I do think was pretty realistic was the current, the context around race, gender, and all of those other isms and how those may play out on an institutional campus um, and how those typically mimic the prejudices and all of the horrible things that we get from society at large. Um, and so that's what I felt was somewhat realistic about the show. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think one of the first things that stood out and still stands out um, after watching was the way they played on um, like different, I guess, like pedagogy and styles of this, like the whole thing, there was a more, I guess, pronounced was the ageism and the those age dynamics that were at play which then mirrored then the kind of old school versus new school approaches to the classroom all tied into this notion around enrollment and <laughs> um budget and finance and so there's really I thought that was really good the way that they highlighted that because I think that's a a current topic that we're still like thinking about, especially in the turn with the pandemic and the push to online and the ways in which I think some of our senior faculty um, had, it came out, at least on my campus, there was, I heard anecdotes around faculty that weren't even using our, our LMS, our learning management system. Um, and then all of a sudden we're online and they're like having to, having a, a really sharp learning curve um, in order to, push into that continuity of learning that was also being pushed for again. So again, you've got this, <laughs> this theme around institutional priorities and individual priorities and department, you know, maintenance and uh, moving forward. So I think all of that really stood out as, again, pretty accurate in terms of what we're seeing right now. And just the <clears throat> lots of ways they, they talked about um, then the personal pieces around some of the older faculty. So you see this one character that's, you know, falling asleep in chairs in the hallway and in the middle of a department meeting, popping like all of his different medications and not sure if he's taking the right ones in the right order. Um, you know, the conversation around, and even the, the very first convo that, um, uh, that our chair is having with the Dean around here's, the three, you know, most quote unquote, most expensive faculty. And here's what they're pulling in terms of enrollment numbers. And um, so I thought there was an interesting dynamic around just the way that we as society like treat the elderly and when folks have 
we almost have like this useful shelf life almost for certain individuals writ large. And I saw that kind of come up a little bit as well as, you know, what's the, almost that question of what's the value added for these individuals. And I'm like, there's so much potential value added from that institutional knowledge and the longevity of, of someone being in a space. <clears throat> At the same time, uh, you know, they did heighten and play up the, the challenges and limitations of what happens when, when folks fail to evolve while staying in that space. So I just thought that stood out a lot to me just around the conversations around um, age and ageism and con- like those contributions. And then um, of course the things that, that we'll continue to talk about in terms of sexism and racism and the intersections of all of those identities and, and what that means. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that I uh, I was not able to binge watch the whole series, um, and I I am a binger. Like that is one of the things that I love to do, especially on the weekends. Like, uh, kind of like what Stacy talked about is like you know watching like The Crown or Downton Abbey, and you just get taken away for you know four or five hours, and you're just not worried about anything else and stuff. And so that's typically how I would watch a series, especially when that they released everything at once. I'm like, yes, this is the best way to do it. Um, I was not able to do that because I think so much of it was so real that it didn't feel like entertainment to me when I was watching it on the weekend. And so um, I pushed through it in the sense of like, okay, I want to keep seeing what what's going on because I because to a certain extent, I enjoyed it, um, but it felt a little too much like work. And so it didn't feel like I was able to kind of decompress on the weekend because I mean, just watching you know, just even like the very first scene, right? The very first scene where she sits down in the chair and well, somebody, you know, left her the nameplate, right? That says like the the effer in charge of all the effing Fs, right? In the effing place and stuff like that. I was like, that is exactly what a department chair does. Like a hundred percent. Like there's no really defined role. It's just kind of like, you're just kind of in charge of the people, but you're kind of not really, you know, and all that. And then like, and then she sat down in the chair and the chair broke, right? And it's funny, but it's also kind of like, uh, it's also like, oh, this really does happen. Like, you know, and, it, and I think it symbolizes a lot of, you know, how does she end up in that role and that of, of um, you know, there, again, we'll talk a little bit more about the layers of like race and gender and all of that, but, but a lot of it was just so real, you know, and, and the little one-liners that they would say that were, that I think an average person would watch and be like, that's hilarious. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've heard that in a meeting before, you know? So, um, so there was just so many things that it was just so real. It was so real. Like it, I knew it wasn't real, but it was still a little bit too real. I think, uh, when I was actually watching it. So those were, those were my initial reactions. I really appreciate. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jamika. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say if I could add one more thing that Stacy made me think of, I forgot. Um, so I mentioned that I came from student finance. So I worked in finance for 12 and a half years. And in finance, everything is very revenue enrollment and numbers driven. That's how we make all of our decisions. And so now transitioning to, you know, being a part time faculty member, um, this particular program really made me go back to that mindset when they started talking about making decisions based on enrollment numbers. I've tried to get away from that as much as possible because I understand how just focusing on that quantitative piece can kind of be discouraging. And so watching this show really painted the picture that repainted the picture for me that higher education is oftentimes ran as a business. And so this kind of reinforced that from the faculty side when I watched the series. Mm -hmm. 
it's amazing for as short as it is, how many issues it touched on in like significant ways, not time necessarily, but the depth of the things that they were talking about. Um, and Christina, I know when we talked briefly about this before, one of the questions I asked you was, I keep seeing this described as a comedy. I, I don't think that's right. And your response was, well, Michelle, it's pretty funny to people who don't live it every day. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about them, <laughs> you know? So um, yeah, it's a uh, great job. I mean, you identified so many of the themes and the issues that, um, that come up. So in the series, Dr. Ji Yoon Kim becomes the first woman chair of the English department at Pembroke University. Would you talk a little bit, not just the first woman, first woman of color, I don't know that they say this, I think first person of color, just judging on the other faculty who are there. Um, so how did you feel about how the um, show identified challenges that someone in that position might face? Both, and you alluded to the job of being a chair in general, but particularly with the identity she holds with the number of senior, senior faculty who, again, I, I don't remember if this was explicit, but it kind of came through. There were at least three of them that had spent pretty much their entire career at Pembroke. Um, and wielded some pretty significant power. So when you think about how the show depicted her experience, what things did you feel like could be accurate? What things were there missed opportunities? Um, just general thoughts about um, what she is the character encountered, but what that might look like outside of a TV show. Is that vague and rambly enough of a question for you? Yeah, I'll, I'll pop in real quick and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, there was a line that she made uh, in one of the earlier episodes about, you know, it's like they put a bomb in my hand and they, they were making sure that a woman was holding it before it went off. Um, and I think that says so much about, I mean, not just higher ed, but society in general, right? Like, I mean, I think it could, this could have been, I mean, it, it's the true thing I, I personally feel in almost any type of organization and everything is that, I mean, they knew that stuff was going down, like budget, budget issues are not new. So it's not like she, um, you know, that, that just started the minute she stepped foot in that office and everything, right? Budget issues are not new. The, the, the generational challenges between faculty are not new, right? Um, trying to make sure that you're keeping everybody happy and like the donors and the money and the dean and all of that stuff, like all of those things, the politics of it. I mean, none of that stuff is new, right? And so, I mean, I think when she said that, it was 100% right of like, all right, well, we're going to have to put somebody else in as a department chair and it's basically imploding. And so we're going to put somebody in here who, you know, as, they, as she said, like, I'm, I'm holding that bomb. And they were making sure that a woman was doing it. Um, I also think what was one thing that was really interesting to me is that um, when she was at work, what I noticed that her um, her race or her ethnic identity didn't come up very much. You know, it was never anything really discussed explicitly. Um, it was never anything really mentioned. She didn't really talk about it. I, it didn't seem like her coworkers really talked about it. It seemed like the emphasis at work was a little bit more about her as a woman rather than as a, as a Asian American woman, right, or Korean American woman, and everything, which I thought was interesting, and I and I kind of liked that they juxtaposed that with you know when they talked about her personal life, it was a heavy involvement with her with her dad, right, or the fact that um, you know that they her family had a um, I'm going to get the pronunciation wrong, but a, a dole ceremony, right, where the 
first birthday, the baby goes and picks up, you know, an, uh, a paintbrush for an artist or a pencil or whatever and stuff like that. And so, you know, these are all these, and also the dynamics of, you know, one of the um, old Asian aunties, right? We all, well, in my community, there's a lot of older Asian aunties who have a lot of opinions about stuff. And they're like, oh, well, you know, she had to adopt her daughter from Mexico because don't forget in South Korea, they don't let single women adopt and everything. And so there are all these layers of like, uh, of race and ethnicity, right? And, and, and even from like a very global perspective that it wasn't really a part of her work and part of her job. It was kept very, very separate, uh, which I think is interesting. And I think that sometimes that is, um, sometimes an expectation, I think, of leaders that you keep a lot of the identity politics and your, even your identity and everything, you just keep it, kind of keep it on the side, right? Like maybe don't bring it up as much or don't bring it in as, as much of a, you know, when you talk about work and stuff. So those are a few thoughts that I had. And I can jump in just because I kind of notated some of the thing, same things that Christina did, in particular, the tendency to put women of uh, women in general in, in this situation, a woman of color in a situation where things were about to crash and burn. I think that resonated with me the most. Um, and also the tendency of when that does happen to give us all the credit when things are going badly, for instance, um, the situation with Bill and then none of the credit when things are going well. So by the end of the uh, series, uh, when Dr. Kim, you know, is removed as chair, she's had to face all of these different challenges that she had to work through. And it seems like at the end of the series, things are going, you know, in a more positive direction. And I can bet that she'll never get credit for um, <laughs> everything that she's been through to make that happen. So that's what resonated with me the most um, on that aspect. And I think part of that is, of, of all of that is what made it so hard to watch again, um, or maybe, you know, I wasn't as focused the first time and that's why I was able to sit through it. <clears throat> but all of these pieces that they touch on and all these different dynamics, they hit them so fast and there was no like reprieve. <laughs> And so you don't have time to like process what was just said or what just happened, um, which I think is why I couldn't get through the first episode again was because I'm just like, wait, what, what? <laughs> like, no one's going to, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to, we're just going to leave that there and move on to the next scene. And, and I think, so that's, <laughs> that was part of, of what made it hard. I think um, for me or what might make it hard for folks Um that want to go back to watch it or watch it for the first time. It's like, just be prepared that folks, folks are going to say some stuff or things are going to happen real quick, real fast, and we're not going to dwell on it. And I think that happens a little bit in real life as well, where like <laughs> something happened in your department meeting and then it's like, well, I don't have time to go there right now because I've got to go to class. <laughs> and it's like, we get stuck in this whirlwind of just having to let things sit. And then when they're not addressed in the moment, it's set up to happen again, um, but we still, you know, got to come back the next day and have this other meeting, or we've now got to have this or go into this next space. Um, and I think that's what also was just, again, the second time through, it's hard to, to watch because you know, it's never going to end. You know, I was like, I know it's coming. <laughs> but I don't have time to like prepare for that or I'm already braced and tense waiting for that next thing that's going to come because I'm still holding on to what just happened. 
Um, but, but yeah, I think to, to echo what everyone has said is that um, here we are and she's, Ji-Yoon is in this space where she's like embodying what happens so often is that the most vulnerable are put in the position with the most pressure to like save the organization, to modernize the organization, to clean up the mess. Um, And, you know, again, going back to what Christina said at the start of like, that's not unique to academia. Um, I think it happens in life. It happens in our relationships. It happens in our families. It happens in again, any industry where there's this collective expectation that women will fix it. Women will come and do the heavy lifting. Women will be the ones to uh, figure it out. (laughs) I don't know if that just means that we're inherently more resourceful than others, or that's just what we've been trained to do because the expectation has always been there since we were little or where it starts. But (laughs) But somehow that happens. And then, you know, like Tamika said, we won't get the credit when it works out, but we will take the blame or be the ones to hold that, um, hold that bomb and hold that blame if it doesn't. But we're not magicians. And yet (laughs) we're expected to (laughs) wave a wand and in one year fix it. And if we don't fix it in one year, then it's like, well, you're ineffective and we need somebody else. And it's like, well, the next person's just set up for success because we've cleared out the clutter <laughs> and now they can step in to solve the problem. So I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead, Jamika. I was just going to say, and sorry for jumping in, but you ladies are just speaking so many truths right now. Um, just in particular about what Stacy said about just women having to be like the saviors and being looked at as resourceful. I used to, when people used to say that to me, I used to look at it as a compliment. I'm like, you know, Jamika, you're strong, you are resourceful. But I quickly realized um, working at in higher education that that's not a compliment. Like we're humans too. And I think that oftentimes we internalize that as a compliment. And so we don't ask for help when we need help. We instead, we go home and cry, wipe our faces and then come back to work like nothing ever happened. Um, and Dr. Kim did that several times in the series where things were you know it was hell at work and she fought through it and then she went home and she did what she needed to do to get through it and then she came back to work like nothing ever happened and I really resonated with her in that moment just feeling like you know we're strong a lot of times because we have to be strong Mm -hmm. um the the idea of one thing after another after another it would have been interesting if she would have had a no committee, you know, to just give you a minute to sort of identify, yeah, this is messed up, or you, you won't win this, you know, you're set up to fail. Um, But it doesn't give you that it is very much this thing happened, fix it, this thing happened. Oh, by the way, we're not going to give you any resources, we're probably actually going to take resources away. And we're not providing, and I'm not even talking about just the financial part of it, but even having support, you know, she didn't have the support of her dean. Although at the very beginning, you thought maybe, but very quickly, it's like, oh no, no, he's not her champion, you know, or advocate at all. So you've touched on a lot of 
um, both the identity issues and the politics issues. And I just wonder, and this is, um, I'm not trying to put any of you in a bad position asking, but to the level that you're comfortable, if you want to talk a little bit more about what you've seen and how that is an accurate reflection, or are there things that you're like, well, that actually hasn't been my experience, or I've seen this handled in a different way. And so whether it's around um, the identity of the protagonist or other characters, the politics, because it's a very political show. Everything she does or doesn't do has political implications. Um, so I, again, just sort of broadly, how, if there are other things you wanna add about how you've seen those things unfold in your personal experiences or watching um, other leaders in higher ed and sort of the things that they've had to navigate. I can go if you ladies are still thinking. I don't want to take over the conversation at all, but I just took some notes on this. So I'll definitely say the politics of knowing how to play the game was big for me. Um, so on the one hand, knowing who you really are, um, you know, folks that are in your corner that know who you are, knowing what your values are, but then also regardless of that, you still having to play the politics at work, right? So saying the right thing in front of the right people, even though you may feel strongly about it, but you really don't feel comfortable expressing things that you know are not right in that moment. And so for me, I'm still learning how to do that, um, particularly from the staff side. Like we're not, we don't have the same protection. So we don't have tenure. So I can't say the same things that, for instance, a tenure faculty member may be able to say. And so that's what really was really powerful for me in this series is just seeing how Dr. Kim ultimately, um, how her values were conflicted when she knew what was right and wrong, but she pretty much did what she had to do to survive. I think that. Um... So, I mean, I think no matter what job you do and no matter where you're at, politics is always at play. Um, I think that um, even people or even departments or institutions where they're like, no, we're very collegial, we support each other and all that, which is great. And I, I would say, you know, my department's definitely like that. Um, but it's still, there's still always gonna be some kind of competition, right? Like, especially in a time right now in higher ed, where there's a scarcity of resources, scarcity of money, a scarcity of people, all of that stuff, there's always going to be a, a level of competition or a level of like, whoa, I got to like kind of fight for stuff and everything. So, um, so I think that, so I think no matter what, politics is going to be everywhere. Um, one thing that I found particularly interesting when I, when I was watching the show was, um, Joan, who was the, I think, you know, was positioned in the show as being an older, white woman faculty, right? Uh, I think she was a full professor, um, but she got pushed, her office got moved and she's like in the basement of the gym or something like that. I mean, it was just kind of, I mean, it's a little ridiculous, but it isn't, right? It's kind of like, oh, okay, you know, uh, of course she got moved and everything of everybody of everybody and, and stuff. And um, Joan seemed like she was a good mentor um, to Ji Yoon and, and um, being a, you know, and, and it seemed like Joan, 
um, took on a took on a persona of being um, a feminist, right? Like, I mean, she, you know, would talk up Jiyun. She talked up Yaz. I remember at like one of those parties and everything like that. But you know, it's a it's a to me, I see it as an interesting brand of feminism, especially the way uh, I think if y'all remember, I think she had to meet with somebody, I think it was a Title IX coordinator. Is that what the person was, right? So basically somebody who would be like a student affairs professional. And Joan was that pretty horrible to that person, right? Like treated, I mean, just kind of very condescending. And then also, uh, you know, made a lot of comments about what what the um, the Title IX officer was wearing, right? Like, oh, I, like I could see your butt hanging out, whatever, and all this stuff and just and 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 to me I thought it was a really interesting juxtaposition and and I see this a lot actually in higher ed uh people who are proclaimed to be you know feminist or to be allies or anything like that like but sometimes their actions don't always um don't always reflect that and I think in academia, there is there is that hierarchy, right? Jamika, you talked about your like as a staff member, I don't have the protections of somebody with tenure, right? So like there are some things that you just can't maybe just can't say because you're like, I, I gotta watch out for myself and somebody can do something to me. And, and with Stacy being pre-tenure of like, I need to be careful of how I say things or what I say because those people are in that committee voting on me and everything. Um, and so to me, I think that was a that, you know, especially Joan, I, I thought was a really, you know, she was funny, right? She was funny, it was cute, she was cute. She, you know, did all these things and, um, but that, but I think there was this interesting kind of like undercurrent there too, uh, with, with her role and, and, um, how her character interacted with everybody else. It reminds me a little bit of the comment that was made earlier about, um, some of the older faculty not evolving with the times. And my guess is Joan was leading the way at some point, but she hadn't kept up with her homework. And so now she's trying to use some outdated tools to keep doing transformative and progressive work. And she's not using progressive tools to do that. So any other thoughts, Stacey? Yeah, I was, I mean, I love that we're talking about Joan's character um, because I'm, in some ways still trying to figure out her her storyline or her the role that she was playing in the show um because in some ways there was a she brought the levity for me uh, out of all the things that were happening even I think there was a, a party she got a little over you know overindulged but it was was funny because she's just like letting go and letting loose and saying what was on her mind the idea of the, the whole path of following her, trying to track down which student made that comment on like rate my professor, <laughs> the equivalent of that uh, website. Um, and it was just, it was funny. Um, but Christina, your point, there were still some pieces where it's just like, really? Like, or yes, that's what, that's the way we're approaching this. Like, that's what you want to do right now. Um, and it came in that sort of, you see almost her um, her allegiances allegiances shift in a way where yes I think at one point she might have been playing a mentor she might have even been a trailblazer in that department and have been the first woman to enter that department and has held her ground and had to fight a lot of battles and you know maybe takes some pride in seeing you know Jiyun go take it further than she did and, and making it to that department chair position um, where she hadn't in the past but then at some point she she flips, she turns and she feels more 
maybe security and aligning with the old guard, maybe we'll call them. <laughs> um, once they find out that like they're talking about forced retirements or they're trying to push us out and she would be in that category of having been one of the longer established folks there. And so <clears throat> it's, it's that piece of like, it's maybe another thing to pull out is like advocacy to a point where it's like, we're going to push and, and advocate only to the point where then it, it's no longer in our best interest rather than pushing for the good, but like um, for that self-interest, because you see that shift with her. Um, but I think um, she kind of left her character in particular in that role, like left me with some, some question marks. Um, but one of the things I wanted to highlight um, in terms of like where this has maybe been representative or things that I've seen, how it's played out accurately is kind of playing up the, the isolation narrative that academia has that we all get to a place on our own. So I think Michelle, you brought up that idea of we didn't see, you know, Ji-Yoon with a no committee or any kind of committee of <laughs> council of, you know, folks to support and engage with to process or think through her next steps. And I think it's, it kind of just reinforced that idea that we have to do it from within our own power or strength um, rather than in that collective. And um, so that's one thing that I saw that was accurate. And then sadly, I think the, the way mentorship played out in, in the show was somewhat accurate in a way, or at least believable. I can't say that it's been accurate from like a personal experience, but I think it's believable. And again, we saw Joan to Ji-Yoon in that idea of mentorship to a, the point it's no longer in my best interest to mentor you in this way. And I think in some ways I saw that starting to happen with Ji-Yoon and Yaz. So Yaz being, Yaz McKay being the, the only black woman in the department. She's, I think, the only one untenured at this point in the in the show. Um, she's going up for tenure. <clears throat> and there's, again, it's fresh. And this is another thing I was like, turn it off. <laughs> but the conversation where um, Yaz and Ji-Yoon are in her office talking about the ways to, you know, let's just get you through tenure and then we can really like shake things up. So let's placate these problematic faculty that and like if, <laughs> for the sake of just playing politics or the sake of getting you through and then we'll make the change as opposed as opposed to fighting for what's right right now um and and so i i think that's a one of those balance points where it's it's that idea of when we push for what's right versus what's needed. Um, and so, but again, that pressure of having to ask Yaz to sacrifice herself in terms of what she knows to be, how she wants to run her classes, trying to force her to co-teach a class um, with one of the senior faculty members with like letting it go when she's pushed aside for this kind of prestigious talk or lecture in the year when she brings up, like, I saw the letter he was, you know, her chair for tenure committee was planning to write. It's not favorable. Like all these little things kept happening that it's like, how much do you want this woman to endure? Like how much does Yaz have to endure for the sake of progress 
which then, you know, kind of brings it back to that idea of like the most vulnerable having to like change the department. And, and unfortunately, again, we see Ji Yoon like almost mentoring her in that way and giving her that advice of like, this is what we have to do right now in order to do something better next. But as we see play out, like next, we don't really, we don't know that there's going to be a next um, because by the end of the show, we're left. I think, I think I'm left wondering if he has stayed or not. Um, but we also know that, you know, Jean was replaced at the end of the show. So we don't know what season two may bring if there's a season two, which I hope there is. I'm interested to see where they take it. But <laughs> that idea of mentorship to a point is something that's, unfortunately something we have to guard against or watch out for or just not sure like when that could be at play i think that's really powerful i i hear the phrase more often than i would like about trust the process um and what i think the show does really well and i love the conversation about sort of the parallels between Joan's mentoring of Ji Yoon and Ji Yoon's mentoring of Yaz, um, there is wisdom, right? There is some, if you want this, whether this is to be the chair or this is to get tenure, there are some things that you just kind of have to do, but Yaz's character over and over and over again, um, I mean, she's incredibly dynamic in the classroom when it's her classroom. But as soon as, and I don't remember, I actually don't remember any of the male faculty members' names, which probably reveals something about me. Um, but when he comes in and takes up space, he also takes all the energy out of the room. Um, but she still tries to kind of find that middle ground because she knows that it is a political game and she knows that he does have an exceptional amount of power over what her future looks like. So there is this recurring theme of, um, we're going to bring you here, we're gonna celebrate that you're here, particularly if you bring some diversity or you know whatever to the department, um, but we're not really that invested in your success once you're here. Um, and I agree. I mean, I, I kind of left going, what is that faculty going to look like at all? Um, the guy who kept falling asleep, I think um, this may be cold, but he could go at any moment. And then that throws, you know, the power dynamic into a different sort of, uh, so what would that mean? And um you know, next season, if they search for a faculty member, as somebody who's chairing one of those searches right now, I'm going to have to wait until the search is over before I watch that show. But um, other thoughts, and I'll, I'll bring up also, in addition to Yaz, another character that um, doesn't have a ton of screen time, but almost every moment they're on the screen, there's this heaviness is Lila, who's um, the doctoral assistant, the grad assistant. Um, and I, I was very interested in how they had her in scenes. It's almost like, I don't even know how you would do this, but visually she's almost an afterthought, you know? And that comes through over and over again that, 
oh yeah, if he leaves, what happens here? And we'll have to figure that out. And um, so I don't know if I have um, a specific question. I mean, the one that I had in the script was, were there things that resonate, resonated with you about her experience? But again, I think there are other questions to be asked about um, how does that character's experience, again, that's the next level, right? So you have Joan to Jiyun, Jiyun to Yaz, and then sort of gap to Lila, because there isn't that person playing that role for her. So any, any comments about that? I mean, I very much felt for her, right? And I think, I think what you said about her her, you know, kind of how they, how visually they set her up as an afterthought, I think it's a hundred percent on target. And, and honestly, I think I'm going to say this and I, and I'm not saying this as this is what I believe, but I mean, I think that's, that's how academia is, right? I think a lot of faculty see students as, as afterthoughts of like, you know, especially, you know, as a TA or, or as a research assistant or whatever, it's like, you're here to help me achieve whatever my goal is, which is whether it's teaching, grading, you know, with my research and everything like that. Um, and, and I think that for, you know, especially for a lot of doctoral students, they just don't, it's such a, it's an interesting position to be in, right? And, and of course, Jamie, I would love to hear your perspectives on this, but, you know, I, I remember my, when I was a graduate student and I, and I always try to think about this, you know, in my role as a supervisor and stuff is, you know, just how doctoral students, they, they have a very limited amount of power in what they're able to do. Right. Because, you know, when you think about like with Lila, like there's just not a lot she can do as far as like, all right, so now he's going through this, uh, you know, this this process or these protests, there's this, and I've seen all this and I'm trying to bring it up and stuff, but it's also like, I can't do too much because of my role as a doctoral student. You know, when you think about like the whole academic hierarchy, like I, like a lot of times doctoral students do whatever their supervisor, their advisors tell them to do. And they, they know that they have to do it because if they don't, like, you know, their advisor or supervisor is the person who's standing between them and being able to graduate, right? Um, I... I think that happens a lot in academia, probably a little more in some in certain disciplines, but it definitely also happens in higher ed. You know, I've seen it. I've definitely seen it many, many times. And it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, like what, what's going on here and stuff. And I think also another thing that, that um, isn't talked about enough, in, especially in higher ed, is, you know, Bill, right, he's, he's suffering from major depression, right? He has substance abuse issues and everything like that. But everyone's just like, keep teaching your class keep going to campus, keep doing this, keep doing like, oh, just, you know, just keep it moving. And, and to a certain extent, I think there's a little bit of empathy for him as far as like, oh, you lost your, you lost your wife. Like, okay, I know it's a rough time and stuff, but I mean, maybe this is a good time to say, why don't you take a leave of absence? Why don't you, what are things that we can help support you through this and everything? I mean, it was just, he was in this major downward spiral and everybody around him was like, well, you're spiraling, but we still need you to teach your class. So make sure you get there on time. Right. And, and do all of that and everything. And I, and I think that's something we don't talk enough about in higher ed is that we don't talk enough about how, you know, with depression, anxiety, substance abuse, right. All of that stuff, how it affects the work that we do. But I always feel like people don't want to address those things because it's like, well, that's, that's not work, right. It's unprofessional for me to address these things. Well, but you kind of do have to address these things when it crosses the lines into someone's professional life and everything. And I feel like we're, we're more unwilling to do that for faculty than we are with staff or with administrators and everything. 
Lots of great points, Christina. I will jump in um, in particular about um, Lila's experience as a doctoral student. So I really felt for her too, um, just the amount of uh, pressure and anxiety I can imagine she was under as she was trying to finish her dissertation and not really having a reliable um, advisor, but then also not really having like a second person to run to either. Um, what I will say is that I kind of wish she had that person, um, even if it was in Dr. Kim and Dr. Kim tried to be that person at the end, um, you know, once she realized how difficult it had been for Lila. But I think really having a faculty member that, um, well, let me back up for a second. I've heard horror stories from some of my peers just about not having a supportive um, or um present advisor and then you know some advisors that leave the institution and then the student is just kind of stuck there to figure things out on their own and I really felt for her um, luckily I haven't had that experience um, I did my advisor Dr. Kroon did move on um, to an administrator role but she always made me feel like I had some say or some type of power in the process and so I wish that um, Lila had that but unfortunately she did maybe that'll play out in season two. Yeah, I think once again, we, we see one of the most vulnerable people and positions stuck to clean up a mess or to figure it out. And like Lila, again, exemplifies that and that, you know, she's gone through all of this work Again, I think it's still the first episode. Um, she's put all this work into preparing for this class, for this lecture. Literally all Bill had to do was show up on time. That's all he had to do. She had handouts, syllabi. <laughs> like the room was open. Students had, you know, come into the classroom and were just waiting. And she's left just looking around like, you know, what do I do now? Because I honestly believe again that she probably could have taught that class. She could have just filled in. All he had to say was fill in or you got it or I'm not going to make it. Communicate in like the base level requests or <laughs> anything. And that was, wasn't was a reality. And so she's left looking like, why don't you have any answers? Um, and that's that's never a great a great position to put anyone in. Um, the one thing that I, I think that didn't land or that wasn't, didn't feel as accurate was again, that idea that she wouldn't have anyone else to go to, or that like if his, his success or his future was intricately tied to hers, like in some ways, yes, as her chair, but also again, as, as we know, like there's a committee, it's not just one person, at least in education in higher ed. Um, it's not just a single one-to-one -one ratio. It's like a one-to-five. So you have backups. You've got others that can carry you forward um, in your work. And your, I didn't see it as, you know, whatever happened with him in terms of um, his case and his, you know, the investigation and all the things around his behaviors disciplinary action. I think that's where I was going. Um, the outcome of that process would not have kept her from graduating, would not have kept her from getting another job, would not have kept her from this advancement in the same way that it made it feel very much like her whole future was tied to this one individual. Um, so I didn't really like the way that they, they put that out there like that. And that 
I think someone intervened at the end to make sure that she was taken care of. And so again, that that still that continues to take away from her agency or her power or her, <laughs> you know, the the success and the fullness of who she is if her whole reality is tied to having someone to like do for her or to like make things manifest for her. It's like, no, she'll be fine. She'll still graduate and can get a job and can go on and have a whole career, regardless of what this ridiculous person over here is doing. Um, he didn't make it any easier for her. Uh, and the whole situations that then evolved from that, you know, didn't make it any easier. But uh, again, the, the limiting of, of her as so dependent on the faculty was inaccurate and I didn't like it. I didn't feel good. <laughs> so you alluded, Stacy, to him being on probation and, um, you know, he did a, a Nazi salute in the midst of a lecture in class. There was student protest. Um, and I just wonder about your thoughts about that. I, um, there certainly are lots of student activism events unfolding on campuses all the time. When you think about how that one sort of emerged, I guess, as a result of his action in class, what are some thoughts you have about that? Did you feel like th that was an accurate portrayal? Um, you know, at one point I know he was banned from campus, which uh, I haven't seen very often happen with tenured faculty with relatively little process having happened when that was decided. But um, what are your thoughts? How did you perceive that? Because one thing that um, I did find interesting was that there was a student response in class in the moment. There certainly were nonverbals, there was groaning, but there was also, hold on a second, kind of happening too. So just thoughts that you have about the incident, um, how he was treated through the process, how students were heard or not, and how they chose to engage in conversation around that incident in the classroom. Yeah, I think my initial reaction when it happened and as they started to evolve the storyline from there, I was like, yep, I see, like that's, that's it. Like the things happen so quickly um, in the show and in real life in the way that things evolve um, when a faculty member, I'm trying to, I don't wanna downplay this as a misstep, but that's in general, when faculty say or do something that does not land, uh, the way they intended. And it has the potential to become a very volatile situation very quickly. We'll say it that way. Um, because I don't want this to be characterized as what I'm not, hear what, don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> um, but I, I think, so I think the way that it was, the situation was represented was accurate in that um, the, the quick response of students, the outcry, the outpouring, the way that it went viral, um, the fact that it was able to be captured and shared and edited and, you know, snowballed very quickly, um, was not, was accurate, I think. Um, and then as it continued on, 
it just, again, there are continued ways that we've seen play out where it's like, this is not it. This is not how you make amends. This is not how you rectify this. This is not where we go from here. So I think about his attempt to, first, the way that he didn't take it seriously when presented with the fact of like, hey, this is serious. People are really upset about what you did. He tried to downplay it accurate, but inappropriate. Um, then wanting to, handle it on his own his own way I think again accurate didn't work out um he tried to make an apology that didn't was like the non-apology apology I think we got into then of course things evolved again very quickly in that moment where he's trying to have a one-on-one I think they called it a town hall um, and the dean is walking in the same direction. I think by happenstance, the dean's approaching with a police officer. And then it got, it went left again very quickly. And I'm, it just reminded me of all the times that I have witnessed firsthand the ways in which administration has responded to student protest. So while it was inaccurate, it was really hard to watch because that's what that, not what was happening, but that's quickly what it turned into. Um, in terms of the ways in which we see the lack of understanding or the gap, I think, between upper level administration, campus police, students. Um, so there was there was a lot in that, um, that whole scenario, storyline, um, just in the way that it was represented, that we could spend a whole podcast talking about that. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, the way that it continued to play out in terms of the level of accountability that was and wasn't there, the ways in which, once again, it felt like here's Ji-Yoon like, coming to have to like fix this for him. And in some ways, it almost felt as if she put his interest before hers. And that felt really weird <laughs> because <laughs> just from the story and the way that they're talking about it, I'm like, it's nice. Yes, it's good that you have your, your chairs there to advocate for you. But at that point, it's like, no, you've, you've now decided to tie your whole success into this one individual that until this point has done nothing that we've seen as the audience that would net that type of loyalty. So that was that was a weird piece too. Uh, can I just say, I really hated the, the romantic relationship. I mean, I just really hated it. I was like, you can do so much better than this guy. I mean, you really could. Like you're just, you could just do so much better. And I, it was just really, to me, you know, like, I mean, I think a show like this, right? I mean, there's always going to have to be some kind of romantic thing right going on but I'm like why him like it could have been anybody in it and it and it's him like you know and again it's kind of a little bit of that that whole like savior thing again too right of like you know where she did put a lot of his interest over her own and try to try to fix things for him and everything and I you know and I, and I think about with Bill right the incident in the classroom and doing the the Nazi salute and stuff is that like it's just so it's just so right like 
we, we see that all the time in higher ed, right? How many times do we get like alerts from the Chronicle or inside higher ed, like faculty reprimanded for this, right? Or, or saying this or doing this or whatever and stuff. It's like, I can always kind of predict what would happen. This is real life. Like the institution, the administration will continue to try to get rid of him. He's going to continue to fight it. Uh, AAUP is going to step in, right? And say, and they're going to censure the institution if they do really try to fire him. And they'll say, you know, there's going to be a case like, no, there's academic freedom because doing the Nazi salute was, if I remember correctly, was in response to a discussion about fascism, right, and everything. So there's that connection and stuff, you know. And then I also think that, um, you know, again, if it was real life, I think they would make it, uh, again, build up a, a very a, a case of like a lot of empathy for him. Like, oh, he lost his wife and he's been dealing with some things, but, you know, he loves teaching. He does this and he, he tried to be, you know, more demonstrative in the teaching, whatever. I mean, it's like you're it's like if this was real life, I already know what's going to happen. AEP is going to say something, there's going to be a censure, you know, he probably will be able to keep his job, but then at some point he'll probably step down and, you know, all of these things and everything. Um, and, and I think, you know, at the end, what, what I think is really important is that, you know, with the administration, it's like, okay, we have an issue on campus. All right. The easy thing to do is just to get rid of this one guy who is representative of all the issues and all the ills that we have going on right now. We get rid of him and everything will be okay. Students will be happy again. They're not going to protest all of that. But what they're not dealing with is like really some of that structural stuff that's already in place, right? Or like the real issues that are going on. Um, instead, they're kind of trying to take the easy way out of like, well, let's just get rid of this one person. And we all know it's never just that one person, right? Who's doing all of this. I don't have too much to add on this, just a little piece to add on to the end part of what Christina mentioned um, and some of what um, Stacy alluded to. Um, I think this particular situation um, shows us that we don't give students a lot of credit, just administration-wise a lot of times. We don't think students are very uh, analytical and intellectual a lot more than we think that they are and I think the dean and the marketing guy he kind of aggravated me I can't even remember his name but he annoyed me um, but they just were like like Christina mentioned just fire bill and everything will go away and I think realistically speaking, that would not have made things any better on campus. So what I took from this particular situation is just give students the credit that they deserve. Like a lot of those students, they have taught me things and, and perspectives that I would not have thought of without them coming to me and saying, hey, Jamika, have you thought about it this way? So that's what I got out of that particular situation. Yeah, and the whole idea of the town hall, I mean, I've worked a lot of different places and that should be a part of the process, but there are so many places where it's like, well, we did the town hall. Okay, so you heard the concerns. What happens? We heard the concerns and we'll wait for this to happen again and we'll play the same game all over again. So um so there i i want to be respectful of your time there are so many other things like we haven't talked a lot about um her relationship with her dad and her daughter her daughter is awesome but wow i mean that she's she's raising a very strong young woman um so there's that piece of it there you alluded to the dating part of it there's that weird dynamic between Bill and the undergraduate student who there's a lot of 
um, there were a lot of parts where I just felt kind of oogie, you know, and it's like, I, this, I don't like this part. And um, I just wonder, are there other things that I should have been asking or other things that you really want to talk about? Because um, I do want to take advantage of the time that we have. Um, I do feel like a lot of it really does have to do with the at work and the politics and all right, you're here, you clean it up. And, and what you all talked about earlier about the expectation of women of color to come in and clean it up or get the blame for whatever they inherited before stepping into whatever the role might be. Um, but yeah, even with Bill, she was expected to figure that out and clean it up and um, and not just by administrators, by Bill, which, again, there, there are like 14 podcasts to talk about, try to cover um, even a portion of the topics. But kind of as we move toward wrap up, are there other things that um, you wanted to be asked about or you want to have a chance to sort of engage in dialogue about? There was one thing that I wanted to bring up that I, I just thought was so like, I mean, it was just, I was like, man, if this, if this isn't it, I don't know what is. And I don't know if y'all remember. So so Bob and Yaz, right? Bob was the, is the older faculty member who very much felt very threatened by Yaz. And, you know, in the classroom, I remember the scene where in the classroom, I think they're talking, I forget, they're talking, I mean, they're doing like English literature and stuff. And the students are up there with a keyboard, they're performing, they're like happy and everybody's laughing and smiling. And I'm like, People aren't like this in real life. I was like, what? I was like, what? I was like, this is people are this happy in class? Like, what? My partner was watching with me. He's like, this is not real life. I'm like, I know, I know, it's a show, it's a show. But um, but um, you know, and I like a scene, a couple of scenes after that, it showed Bob um, about to go to bed and he was talking to his wife about about Yaz and talking about, you know, his disgruntlement just with how things are going and everything. And and about tenure and stuff. And he was like, well, you know, she wanted me to, you know, write this letter and da 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 and give her tenure. And he said to his wife, well, you know, you didn't get tenure. And she was like, so, and, and, and the wife goes, well, some, well, it's okay. Like somebody had to raise the kids. You know, but he's like, but you should have gotten tenure. And in my head, I'm like, well, why didn't you raise the kids, Bob? So she could get tenure and stuff, right? And so I think there was, that was a very small moment that I think for people who aren't in academia or aren't familiar with it, I, I think, I don't know if they see like that, that still exists nowadays, right? Um, and, you know, maybe in a more, you know, covert ways or a little, you know, maybe not quite so explicit and everything, you know, but like that a lot of times, um, you know, especially in like dual academic couples, there are a lot of times somebody's going to have to sacrifice a little bit more. And a lot of times it's going to be the woman. Like she literally was like, well, you know, it didn't happen. Like I had to raise the kids. And he was like, yeah, but you should have gotten it. Bob, you should have raised the kids. And then maybe she could have like gotten tenure and you know, all of that. So, so that was one moment that I was just like, oh, Bob, there's another reason for me to dislike you. I definitely had that moment in the classroom of like, should I be doing something different? Like, how can we do that? Like, I'd love to see my students like rap about student affairs and like learning theories or <laughs> leadership theories. That'd be so fun. Um, so again, there, 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 there were these moments and bright spots. It wasn't as if the whole experience was, you know, traumatic, but <laughs> in watching the show. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And and again, asking ourselves what dynamics are still at play, what are folks still being asked to sacrifice 
for the good of someone else or the good of the group, the department, um, and who's repeatedly being asked to make those sacrifices, uh, I think is a really good question for all of us to just to ask and to have that, that moment of why is it always these individuals? Um, but I think I, I agree um, that there, I would have loved to see more of the, the at home and the personal side of, of some of our characters, just to, again, reiterate, like we're all people beyond the role that we play at work. Um, I agree, Christina, as well, that that whole dynamic with Ji-Yoon and Bill was weird and it overcomplicated an already complicated <laughs> situation. Um, so see, I think, you know, it would have been almost more refreshing to see her in, even if it wasn't a perfect relationship, but maybe like a co-parenting role or just trying to date, you know, in her life stage with a young child, um, something like that, where there's a, a she could have a complicated like love life <laughs> just with someone outside of her department. So even bringing in a faculty person from somewhere else on the campus or something like that, like would have been interesting. Um, Cause I, I found myself, I made it, I was thinking about that relationship with Bill and I'm like, this, we don't, I think we didn't get enough background of how, like what had happened before we stepped into their relationship to then know like, who do we root for? Or what do we root for? Like, do we want them to work it out? Do we want them to be together? Do we want her to just be like, can you go fix, like handle this for yourself? Like we did, <laughs> I know which way I was leaning and it was more of like, girl, save yourself because he does not care. <laughs> um, but we weren't given that in the, <laughs> in the show. Uh, so it was still, there was uh, there were more of those personal pieces and themes that would have been interesting to to see played out and i know i'm still left wondering you know again what happened with yaz i think her storyline was could have been more um it was almost as if she was there in this this sounds like, oh, now that I'm thinking about it, the very tangential character in some ways. And it's like, how else are Black women tangential to the goings on of a department or often the afterthought um, in a lot of the things that happen? And it's almost like they're over here. We're, we're over here just trying to figure it out for ourselves and like make the best moves for ourselves. So, but again, I think her role in that storyline was accurate in terms of like, <clears throat> oh, I'm reading the tea leaves, as they say, like, it doesn't look good that I'm going to get tenure on my own merit, despite the fact that I'm doing innovative, you know, pedagogy, and I'm publishing, and I'm well-respected in the field, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But because I don't have one single person's endorsement, I might not get what I've earned in this space. And so now I'm having to look elsewhere and entertain offers from other institutions and make that choice between, again, getting the return on the investment that we've made an institution. And so that again, was just like, oh, okay. There's so, <laughs> here's the reality of the situation. And, and I just think that that could have, and maybe it gave, I mean, it gave me something, but I'm not sure that it gave enough to folks that aren't, you know, again, intimately involved with academia and, and how real that was and, and how much of a struggle that I know that she was going through, you know, in that, in the day-to-day. -day. So I would have loved to see more of her.
So I'll add to the situation on Yaz. I feel for her as well, just in a sense, being happy that she's moving on or considering moving on to a new institution, but also knowing that it's still like an institution of higher education and some of those same struggles are going to be at Yale or Harvard or wherever it was she was going. Um, I could, I really understood like the difficulties that she went through as far as like trying to get tenure but I wish they would have spoken more about the challenges that she faced about uh, with um with defending her research. So they spoke a lot about like the English department having to uh, make folks feel like the English um major was rigorous enough or or it was valuable enough and there was a brief moment where Dr. Kim kind of took up for Yaz about critical race theory and how that was valuable to the department but I would have liked to see more particularly as a woman a black woman of color that's interested or, or researching critical race theory more about how to navigate the nuances of defending your research when it's particularly a, a controversial and an unpopular um, topic and so that's what I wish um, I could have seen more of in in the series okay so I thought of one I, I know I said I wouldn't spring any questions on you but I thought of one the last question I have about this series is, would you recommend it? And if yes, would you offer any sort of um, viewer advisory, um, like warning people, okay, you need to watch this, but before you do, be prepared for I can tell those of you listening, all three of them, I can hear the gears spinning at a million miles an hour. So the nonverbal so, are, oh yeah, I have some <laughs> thoughts on that. <laughs> so um, I think for, I think if somebody, I think, yes, I would recommend it, right? Actually, I would recommend that everybody should watch it because I think it's, it's worth watching. And I think it's, and, and, and overall it's a good show, right? Like, I mean, even the question that people ask me, they're like, are you going to watch, you know, season two? I'm like, well, yes because it's a good show and I want to see what happens. But it's, but again, like for me, as somebody in academia, I know that I have to, um, you know, I'm not going to sit there and binge it. And it's not going to be something where it's like, oh, I can sit there and it clears my mind. And I like, you know, like, like watching the great British, British baking show, right? Where you see like the bunny hop and you're like, oh my gosh, look at them make the biscuits. They're so adorable. And I want to eat a biscuit now, whatever, right? Like, it's not like that at all. It's very, so for people in academia, I would say everybody, yes, watch it, right? People in academia, just, just watch it knowing that, um, especially for those from, from what I would say as marginalized identities, and especially for women of color, there's going to be a lot of time where it's going to trigger you and you got to be, be ready for that, right? And have some people, have some of your other friends watch it so you can talk about it and stuff. I would also say uh, others in academia, like people who, you know, like, like, I think people in academia, they're going to find somebody that they resonate with in that show, right? Um, and I think that that's something that everybody should kind of unpack a little bit. Like, why do you resonate with that person? Like, why do you resonate with Joan? You know, what are, what are things about Joan that, that attracts you? But also, what are some of the problematic pieces that you've got to think through a little bit and unpack a little bit, especially if you think about your own role in academia? Um, and then for people who are not in academia, yeah, watch it. Then you get a little idea of what we go through on a daily basis. Um, and, um, you know, ask us questions. Like, is this real life? Like, I mean, my family, they haven't watched it, but I told them, like, you should watch it. Like, really? They're like, that doesn't look that interesting. I'm like, I mean... 
sometimes really isn't, but but it's kind of my life. So I do, I would appreciate you watching it and we could talk about it and stuff, but you know, so that's, that's what I would say. I would add again to Christina's point for everyone to watch it. I'll say it was most helpful for me um, being new in academia as far as the faculty side and trying to learn more about how things play out on that side of the house. And so I was able to take some notes from there. I will say that if you do watch it, it is very realistic from what I can tell. So be prepared to have to go back and kind of unpack um, some of those issues. Um, and I think that's it. Watch it. <laughs> um, I have a lot of disclaimers. <laughs> so viewer discretion is advised and here's why. <laughs> um, I said uh, to myself, I made some notes and I was just thinking, um, if you're in a good headspace mentally, go for it. If you've just gotten tenure, perfect, do it. If you don't work in on the faculty side of things, absolutely get into it. <laughs> um, I do not recommend it. If you're currently job searching, particularly if you're searching for a faculty position, this is not this is not the move right now. Wait <laughs> and maybe even wait a couple years after you've gotten that faculty position uh, before you get into it. Um, or if you are currently working on your tenure dossier, this is not going to help in your downtime or alleviate any stress. Um, and if you've just taken on a new academic leadership position, this is not <laughs> what you wanna be <laughs> doing in your downtime, uh, because again, it's just gonna, it's gonna bring everything back to the forefront. Um, but overall, yes, I agree, it was, it's a good watch. It's, it's fun to see your life playing out on the stage, so to speak, and, and being able to connect with those characters, but you've gotta be in the right, the right place to to be able to receive it for what it is and not constantly be reminded of maybe what's happening around you. Thank you all. I, I really appreciate your insight. Um, this was a very fun conversation to be a part of. Um, and it's just given me other things to think about and wrestle with about the show. Um, do any of you know, I, I haven't seen if a season two is slated yet or not. Do any of you know? Okay, we're unsure of that, listeners. So um, do your own homework and find that out. But um, if there is a season two, perhaps we'll reconvene and kind of see how we're doing with whatever happens then. Um, so we've talked about a lot of heavy things, um, some challenging things. I would love it if each of you would leave as we're wrapping up with something that's bringing you and giving you hope right now. Sorry, I had to cough there. Um, it can be work-related, it can be personal, it can be significant, it can be the bunny hopping on the great uh, British baking show, you know, whatever it is. Um, life is just hard. And so what are some things that it's like, yeah, life is hard, but there is this. Um, so just whatever kind of comes to mind for you. I think for me, um, I'm reminded and hopeful 
that there is still good to come. Um, I know that there is more to uh, what I have to offer that goes beyond what I can do in academia. So I think it's in a time where there's a lot of challenges right now in higher education, there's a lot of challenges we're, like we're all facing in life in general. And for a, a space where we spend a large part of our week is focused and around our work, I am finding comfort and hope to know that my worth is not dictated by what I'm producing. And so I would leave that for anyone that's in a space right now where you're questioning your career choices, you're questioning your next steps, you're wondering, is this worth it? Um, give yourself permission to know that uh, you are more than what you can do for, for someone else and uh, your worth isn't, isn't dictated by, by the titles that you hold. So that's what's kind of giving me, giving me hope for the future. Thanks a lot, Stacey. Uh, Jamika? Um, I would have to say, um, for those of us that might not be able to physically engage or to, to feel like we're making the important decisions to affect some of the marginalized populations, what I'm learning as a doctoral student in particular with my research is change through information, that active sense of doing research to help be that conduit of change. And so that's what I would give to doctoral students is, you know, a lot of times you might feel like you don't have a voice, but uh, for me, for instance, I'm using my dissertation, my research to be that voice that I don't think we always have when we're in the context of higher education. So that's what I would add. So um, I'll start with where, <laughs> maybe this, is, this doesn't sound very hopeful. I think where I'm gonna start, but um, I think higher education is um, going through a reckoning right now. Um, we know, I mean, we talked about this in, before we even started is that our students are very, very tired, right? There's a level of exhaustion, I think, um, faculty are definitely feeling a lot of the tiredness, right? Like the exhaustion and everything. Staff, right? Administrators. I mean, I think across the board, I think, um, I mean, people are just tired, right? In higher ed and they're, they're you know, and, and I think a lot of it um, really started, I think we've had some, a lot of issues go on for a while, but I think with the pandemic, things became exacerbated, right? Um, but with this reckoning that's happening right now, and, and I think within this reckoning, there's been you know a lot of people even within my own circles that I've seen who've left higher ed for different, for work in private corporations, whatever and stuff. Um, but I think what's happening is that I think we're across the board, I think we're paying attention to that. I think we're noticing it. And I think and I'm, what I'm hopeful about is that we see it and we're like, okay, so then what can we learn from this, right? And, um, and especially in thinking about, you know, what we always talked about, well, earlier on in the pandemic, and even now a little bit, I think people were always like, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. I can't wait for things to get back to normal. And I, I hate to break it, everybody. Nothing's ever going to be normal, whatever that is, right? Because one, your version of normal may not be great for everybody. Um, and the reality is, is that things have changed, right? Uh, you know, and that even though we're still in a pandemic, like things have changed and that we need to kind of open our eyes and kind of move beyond 
what things used to be and be able to reimagine what things could be. And I think we all have to do that collectively. And so to me, I'm like, well, that's great. Like, that's what we need to do, right? We always have to keep on, you know, recalibrating and rethinking. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about Joan, about like, you know, being a uh, old school feminist, right? Like, okay, Joan, you paved the way, but now you got to really think about who you are and what you're doing, recalibrate some of that a little bit. And I think broadly in higher ed, we're at that point where we need to do that. And I think we're moving towards that. Um, and, and my goal is that, you know, we, we continue to do so and that we emerge from this, you know, stronger, right? Stronger and a little bit uh, with a little more clarity about who we are as higher ed, as institutions, as people and stuff and what, and what we serve and who we serve and, and the important work that we can do. That's great. Thank you all so much. I just want to, I want to thank you for the hope. I want to thank you for your time. Um, and I, I'm just really grateful that you all were, you either didn't run this by your no committees or they advised you to be a part of the conversation, whichever way I'm good with that. But thank you again for being a part of this. So today's essay today podcast is brought to you by SAXA and we thank them for their support. Additionally, this show would not be possible without my producer, Jen Lowe at the University of South Florida. As always, Jen, thanks for your support and collaboration on the podcast. And as we close, I'd like to leave you with a quote um, that fits with some of the themes of what we've talked about today. And it's actually from Sandra Oh. And the quote is, I think it's just as important what you say no to as to what you say yes to. Take care of yourselves. My name is Michelle Botcher. It has been a pleasure to host this episode and have a beautiful day.